Hello and welcome to another episode of Casting Views, the podcast that takes a subject each week and as the name suggests, Cast Views. This week is an episode I've been waiting for for a long time uh, since I approached these guests. I've been so excited about getting them together on my pod. I've got Antonio from The Cult Worthy and The Mill from Me and I've got Seven Seas from No On 15. Hi guys, how are you doing? Hello. Hello, doing great. Yeah, doing great, man. Thank you for having us. I've been so looking forward to this. So I'm going to start with you, Seven Seas. Your first time appearance on here, but I was on your show, was it a couple of months back now? Yeah, we did the uh, Back to the Future episode. But yeah, no, thank you for having me on. I'm the uh, host of the No 15 Allcast. We talk about movies from the 80s, 90s, and today uh, we do, you know, a dive into those films. And sometimes we review other stuff like comic books or tv shows uh but for the most part we do series based uh, episodes so usually there will be you know either on a theme or either a type of genre um so yeah that's what we do and uh we have try to have fun when we do it so definitely a, a blast when you guys are on too you definitely have fun listening to it. It's very easy listening. And it was so great to be able to do Back to the Future. I mean, one of my all-time faves as well. So that was great fun. Well, he gets to play games and quizzes and those 30-second <laughs> challenges too on his show. Like, sometimes I feel I should be more interactive. But uh, I think that they do it really well over there. So I wouldn't want to compete. <laughs> it's a secret, Antonio. <laughs> With the Wheel of Names, which fell on me, I was, uh, I was, I was so lucky to be able to be picked for that. <laughs> yeah it was kind of on purpose but you know it, it's always fun to do that because it's you know everyone's we do do a a quick challenge to everyone that comes on the show uh especially if it's your first time and it's always fun to see how people describe a film in 30 seconds because uh, it's it's difficult uh unless you write it out ahead of time uh, just yeah. to kind of freestyle it and try to like get the points across of what it might be. It's almost impossible, but it's fun just to see people, you know, ramble through it. Uh, it's good. I've never good rehearsed so many versions of something in, in my life as I did for that. <laughs> That's why yours sounded so good, huh? No, it's good. Welcome to the show. Like I said, I've been really looking forward to repaying the favor back views. We move on to Antonio. I keep saying it, the busiest man. So you've currently got technically three podcasts at the moment that are airing and I think it's okay to announce it now because you've, I think Justin's mentioned it and I think you mentioned you've got another one on the way, haven't you? Yeah, in January, we're going to have a fourth podcast uh, that Justin and I have collaborated on. And uh, we're not going to like announce it quite yet because we're going to have like a trailer of what it really is, but it's a movie-based podcast for sure. And we're looking forward to it. And uh, yeah, busy, busy, busy. <laughs> yeah, you guys compliment each other really well, man. That's, yeah great choice talking of justin i woke up this morning to an email from him with some absolutely fantastic artwork for this episode which i can't <laughs> wait to go out and you <laughs> honestly to those listening antonio and seven seas haven't seen these but i have and and i actually showed a couple of people at work and they just burst out laughing in a good way in a good way <laughs> right, me, obviously. right right <laughs> this i think this is probably some of the best ones he's done that's all i'm saying Great. And Antonio, Milf and me and Cultworthy, obviously going very well at the moment. Yeah, I'm actually recording two episodes of Milf and me after we're done here. And season, I literally just finished recording an episode on the movie Go before we jumped onto this one. So yeah, that's my day. <laughs> yeah, a lot of fun. 
Yeah, and this is pod three or four for me this week. Yeah, this is, I guess you have one tomorrow too. So this is two and then I got three. Yeah, yeah. I feel you guys. <laughs> yeah, I've got one Sunday. I'm recording another Who's Coming to Dinner, which Antonio kind of was the inspiration for that one as well. Turned that into a mini series. So I've got December's guests being recorded uh, Sunday. So yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Before we get into the, the subject, we're going to hear a trailer, and it is the No on 15. So sit back, listen to that, and then we'll get straight into it. No on 15. No on 15. No on 15. No on 15. So, what's our show about? It's about some dudes talking about movies, just like this. With Goofy screaming with them. So, so, like, so you're talking that they should have replaced it like with a Tom and Jerry scream or something like that? Oh, well, <laughs> Tom and Jerry scream. <laughs> or you might hear something like this. Oh just, my gosh. That whole movie waiting to see what happens with Blanca is like the most aggravating thing in that film. <laughs> but for the most part, we talk movies from the 80s, 90s, and today. And if you grace us with your ear time, you might hear one of these 30 second gems like this. I was gonna say I did not get a chance it. to watch this one this week. <laughs> give it to him anyways. Let's give it to you for it anyway. You ready? I'm gonna give you the, no, no, no. give you the 30 second review of uh, Tron Uprising. All right, <laughs> <laughs> start the clock. And then... So give us a shot and listen to the No on 15 Allcast wherever you listen to your podcast. No on 15. Right, so we are back, and this is an episode. I remember Antonio. You mentioned this to me oh, six, seven, eight months ago. And I wrote it on the board. And I thought when when we come to do it, I'd always want two monumental movie maestros to be on this. So I've got <laughs> you two. I've got you two on here to be just that. I am gonna kind of just sit back and just enjoy the conversation between the two of you, I think. The episode is casting changes. So yeah, in films just exactly what it says on a tin casting changes and I, I loved it so much because it's a play on my pod title mm. so I have got a number of things that I want to hear but I, I'm going to always hand it over to guests so I think Antonio actually what was it what is it something that you've always been interested in, in terms of this this kind of subject or some of the previous example in history yeah well I mean I've mentioned it on your show before and on mine when I first discovered your show, I thought Casting Views was a podcast about <laughs> casting actors and movies and your views on how they were cast. And I'm like, oh, no, it's not. It's, it's, a, it's casting topical views on topical subjects. But uh, that's kind of why I mentioned it to you um, almost a year ago now. I was like, yeah, well, wouldn't it be cool if we did an episode about that, <laughs> about my original idea of what your show was? Because when you get into film and cinema and development hell projects like I do, and I'm sure C's has, you'll see that there are so many changes in movies from the initial idea to the script, test screenings, that they'll change actors, they'll change directors, they'll change the setting of the movie all the time. Like mm -hmm. I, I would honestly say that whatever you see on the screen in the theater and eventually on the TV it's probably at least 60% different than the original idea of what the film was supposed to be. And that could be script, that could be director, that could be setting. And, and I think most commonly actors and actresses and performers where, Hey, so-and-so just doesn't work out. Let's replace them. 
let's change it up. Let's pay them off of their contract. And yeah, we're going to talk about some uh, hopefully interesting ones. I've got a bunch. I'm, I don't know what C's has got, but the ones <laughs> that have always been itching me of like, I want to be in that parallel universe where people actually got to play these uh, roles and see what they actually ended up being like. So I'm looking forward to this. C's, how about you as a, as a subject? Because I approached you once I'd been on yours, I thought this would be a perfect opportunity to get you on here. And you kind of jumped at it as well. So is it something that you've kind of, because you obviously you've done a number of films and a number of films where we know there's some famous changes. Is it something that's always been in, around your mind? Oh, definitely. I would say, um, like Antonio said, probably way more eloquently than I will say. But uh, I think, you know, you always have that curiosity, even if you're not looking at the film aspect of it. But let's say you're looking at a different uh, media, like you're looking at a book, right? Or you have you know, comic books or, you know, something else. It could be a story um, that's not necessarily in, in a formal setting. Like you always have that thought to yourself, what if so-and-so was put in this part and cast to do it? Is that the right person? And that's uh, those conversations are always interesting, uh, especially if someone has like a pre-existing portfolio of work that they've done before. So you go to think, uh, yeah, I don't know if they'd be right for that part or I don't know if this person would be right for that part. But also getting into the conversation of, productions have already started and they cast someone in those parts and then those parts get replaced by someone else like antonio said uh when it didn't work out um that that stuff's really interesting just to hear about like and and then just you know as human beings we wonder stuff all the time so like the wondering of if what this would have been like with this person doing it uh, you could apply that almost into anything but when you apply it to film in general it's it gets very uh, interesting to talk about you know just to yeah. think about too and I think there's a difference, and that's how I approached my list of there's always casting rumors or people being approached for a role. And then there's people who've actually signed on for a role. So everything that I'm going to mention today are people that actually signed on and potentially even started filming and then were changed. It wasn't like, oh, so-and-so has been offered. Well, anyone can get an offer. You know, I, right. I'm talking about the ones where actually ink was was written on page and money transferred hands and they were that part and then they weren't. So, yep, I'm with you. We'll, we'll probably have some overlap. So we'll, we'll take turns. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. I think, <laughs> I think we'll probably have some overlap. I've got two, like you said, that definitely cast. So that's why I'm, I'm more than happy to pass over to you. But, but before we do a couple of things that you said, it's yeah, exactly. That whole game about, oh, so-and-so was lined up to play it. And, and you say now, yeah, it wouldn't have worked. And it's like, well, you, you don't know because you've, you've had 20, 30 years watching the film with that actor or actress mm. in it. You just don't know what might have been. And yeah, Antonio, to go right back to what you said about film being potentially 60% different to to what it was. It's, it's amazing, isn't it? Because you watch a 90-minute film and you think, oh, yeah, it's simple or straightforward screenplay. They just need to get the uh, the cast. But the amount of development hell we've heard about and those we don't know about. And like you said, the quite major changes to a script is just um, just amazing kind of what goes on. The making of films it can be just as interesting and i haven't seen it yet but there's a series on is it paramount the the making of the godfather mm -hmm. you know the fact that you've made a series out of a making of a of a film how many more mm -hmm. could, franchises could you apply that to oh plenty i'm sure <laughs> yeah definitely um okay okay so let's get into it and i think Cs, I think we'll start with you as as it's your first time on the show. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'd love to to let you take the lead on this one. 
Okay. So my first one, I'm going to lean into the sci-fi, and it is the uh, the casting of James Remar as Corporal Hicks. I don't know if you know about this one, Antonio. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, so him, he was originally cast to play Hicks in the Alien sequel that most people know. Um, I think it was Michael Bean who ended up really playing that part throughout the film. But mm-hmm. I guess at the time, uh, he had a terrible drug problem. And uh, after... I think it was, it, I don't even remember if it was that long uh, that he was actually shooting. I think it was only like a couple of weeks. It was like two weeks. He, uh-huh. Yeah. And then he got replaced. Uh, Cameron just said it wasn't working out and uh, he had a lot going on in his career and his personal life. But I, I don't know, man. I, I like James Remar, uh, especially in the Warriors. He's, he's great. Uh, he's even great in the horrible Mortal Kombat sequel. Uh, that everybody <laughs> <As> hates Raiden. <laughs> as Raiden, <laughs> but uh, and Dexter, probably more people know him from Dexter. I think he, he's showing up in the Fast and Furious franchise. Um, he, I, I like him, man, as an actor. Uh, as Hicks, I don't know, I don't know if it would have worked out, even if he would have went through and, and played it all the way. Well, he uh, definitely has the grunt attitude that uh, Paul Reiser's character of Burke says. You know, if you're thinking of a grunt in that movie, that's what he, that's how he would have played it. By the mm-hmm. time Aliens came around, you have to remember he had already played uh, the villain in 48 Hours. He had already played the villain in uh, Band of the Hand. He was in a lot of yep. Miami Vice episodes. Like Michael Mann liked to use him a lot, so he was already known for playing either like the sleazy guy or the villain. And to have him play a hero in this, yeah, I, I think it's interesting because he would have definitely bought that grunt mentality to it yeah where michael bean is definitely more hero because he was the hero in terminator you know yeah yeah definitely this isn't one yeah that i i kind of knew about or even came across in my research i mean is there a bit of a similarity between them i I can kind of see well remar like i said he's definitely more uh aggressive and and grunty and and a little more gritty too i would say definitely a little more gritty I, I think that the chemistry between Sigourney Weaver and Michael yeah. Bean plays a little bit more like they don't really play it as romantic, but there's definitely the chemistry there that they definitely understand each other and they're relying on each other for survival right. where Remar's character, I feel one of the main traits of him in any movie, even like when he was in sex in the city back in the, in the nineties is that he doesn't really have chemistry with anyone. So it makes him appealing, but at the same time, it's it's not something that friendships and relationships are built on, and that's kind yeah. of his bread and butter. I would say that too. I would say he that that to me was odd as well because I would think he comes across more as in his character work as someone that wants to think of only themselves. So to have like uh, them be someone that respects uh, Sigourney Weaver's Ripley character would be interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But he's still in the movie. Like, there's a lot of shots of, let's say, like his profile or him from behind that they didn't want to reshoot yep. with Michael Bean. So he's still in a lot of the movie for sure. Sure, I also saw something that Ripley wasn't initially going to be or intended to be Sigourney Weaver. Now I know you said about that yours are, are strictly ones that have been cast, but I think I was reading that Meryl Streep. But I think they were after Meryl Streep. Well, originally that part was a man. Like the original mm-hmm. script by Dan O'Bannon, the entire crew was male. It wasn't until Ridley Scott came on that he's like, no, no, we need to have Ripley be a female because the horror of, let's say, 
uh, penetration and gestation is a lot more right. frightening for women. And the fact that it's men that get it in this movie and the female is a hero with a heroine, that's right. like the juxtaposition of it, which perfect. I mean, to me, like the top tier female action heroines of all time are always going to be Ripley and Sarah Connor. Like it's going to be yeah. tough to top those for me. Yeah. Pretty close. Very solid start. Antonio over to you. So this one's always been funny to me because it's not that I wanted it to happen. It's that I'm amazed that it even happened and where it ended up. And that was in Tim Burton's Batman returns. The character Robin was actually written into the script and would have had a pretty big role. But Burton decided as they were like really leaning into production that there were already too many characters. And I think that's one of the things that people say is a flaw of a lot of the Batman movies now is like, you can't just have one villain. You have to have a several. Hmm. And technically that movie had three, you had Catwoman, you had the penguin, and then you had Max Shrek played by Christopher Walken. Yeah. So yeah, there were already a lot of characters in the original script and in the production of it. They had Marlon Wayne's <laughs> <Damon Wayne's laughs> little brother. That's right. Wow. He was cast and he was paid as Robin. And to even add to that, when Tim Burton still was going to be doing the third Batman movie, which became Batman forever before Joel Schumacher took it over, that original cast was supposed to have been Robin Williams as the Riddler, Rene Russo as the, uh, the female lead in that one, instead of Nicole Kidman. And then they would have had, Billy D. Williams reprised his Harvey Dent role from the first one as Two-Face. Mm. And then Robin would have been Marlon Wayans instead of Chris O'Donnell. The coolest thing about this, though, is that Marlon Wayans still got paid his full salary, which was like, I think, a million dollars almost. And not only that, he still gets residuals from his contract of that movie wow. that he never even starred in. But he was hired. He was written in. He was paid. He had a costume. And then they were just like, no, we're going to make it just Batman. And we'll save Robin for the third movie. So I think that's a really interesting casting, let's say, change as in they removed him. And then in the next movies, they replaced him uh, with <laughs> white bread <laughs> Chris O'Donnell. Chris O'Donnell. <laughs> uh, I will say it's very poignant to mention that one because I would say... Uh, Warner Brothers is still writing shit off like now. Yeah, like they just wrote off the Batgirl movie, right? Like yeah. they put that Not in the vault. That, it's never coming they, out. But Oh, I heard they deleted it. I heard they took <laughs> yeah. it off the hard drives. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, they, they don't. It seems like they like burning money, man. And they do it for tax reasons. Uh, maybe in this case, <laughs> Marlon Wayans is Robin is. That one is crazy to me. It's just the profile doesn't fit. It has uh, to me it has nothing to do with like you know, whether they're white or black, it's just, I don't picture Robin being tall, taller than Batman, uh, especially with Michael Keaton's Batman. Well, and uh, also so, if it's Marlon Wayans, they're going to make him the comic relief. They were going to give yes. him like all the jokes for sure. But you know what? At the same time, I have to think that there is something cool about like the progressiveness of Tim Burton at the time. I mean, remember when they cast Michael Keaton as Batman, there was no internet, but the world freaked out. Like if there was an internet back then, it would have been, just a shit show, a nightmare. People were like, I'm boycotting this movie. You can't make Beetlejuice Batman. Yes. And yep. now he's like everyone's favorite Batman for the most part. So I, I think there was part of that where Tim Burton's like, well, it worked with Michael Keaton. I put a comedian in the role of Batman 
I can put a comedian in the role of Robin and he's African-American. It's kind of like a double down on that logic, but then they just decided to scrap it all together. Yeah. Did you say it's a change of direct potentially why they, he didn't return? Because it's funny if they, they've got him and he's filmed the role and it's just that for whatever reason, they thought it was just surplus to character requirement why he, he didn't come, come back for the third film. So I think it was a change in director, right? Well, change in director, change in energy, but also they wanted to make everyone younger. So if you think about it, you know, you've got an older cast in Burton's idea. You had, you know, probably Michelle Pfeiffer might be even coming back as Catwoman. Who knows? But Rene Russo is, you know, a good 15 years older than Nicole Kidman. Then you had Jim Carrey instead of Robin Williams. Like the idea was to make Batman less dark and more uh, comical and like 90s neon. So that's what Joel Mo- Joel Schumacher wanted to bring to it. So they just kind of aged everyone down a little bit. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of... I wonder how you feel about that. If you filmed roles, so you're still getting paid. You're still getting residuals, which is great. You've got the outfit. I mean, oh, which I'm sure is he's cool. fine with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. Easiest paycheck ever, right? Right. To go back for a second on Caesars, I'm not sure if you knew this, but Michael Bean wasn't in Alien 3, and they used his likeness. They used a photo of him. Yeah. in the computer at the beginning of Alien 3 without his permission. So he sued them, and they ended up paying him. He got paid something like 30 times more just to have his picture in Alien 3 than his whole oh, performance wow. in Aliens. So he was like, yeah, works for me. <laughs> wow. And it's not like he didn't go on to carry on starring in stuff, right? So, <laughs> Indeed. Likeness rights, man. It, well, it's funny you say that. I, I mean, I'm going to go for the really easy and obvious one. I'm fine with that. So I'm going to go with Back to the Future. I knew and you also, would. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I did not say it. because. <laughs> and also because it was the one I, I did on your show, Suze. So I thought it's just a perfect mm. linking. But it is also one of the most uh, famous ones, right? And I've, I've recent, well, recently, a, a little while ago, I bought a book on like the behind the scenes, etc. And they, they do quite a big chunk on it. and. You know, it was Eric Stoltz, wasn't it? Who who I think filmed for about six weeks, didn't he? It was like two thirds of the movie they yeah. shot. Yeah. And th- there are obviously, there are images out there. And I think they recently released some films. They say it was creative differences, don't they? And, and I think what I've, I saw was that Stoltz wanted to play it more serious and more about mm-hmm. the consequences of time traveling than, than mm-hmm. what they want. And obviously, they then get Michael J. Fox, who I think they wanted at the start, and the rest, as they say, is history. Now, this is reminded me of something I did want to say in your kind of intro, um, Antonio. Is it an element of, well, I was going to say, is it bravery, or is it that they just know they they want to make them as most money as they can? But do you think there's an element of bravery in calling that decision that far into filming and production and, and saying, look, we're going to have to start from scratch? Well, I think they had the money to do it. And that's the point, you know, uh, Marty McFly has to be a likable character. And that's what I've heard Zemeckis and Spielberg say is like, hey, we're not saying that Eric Stoltz wasn't a good actor. He just wasn't playing it likable. You know, he was kind of a, a dick. He was kind of playing it as if it was such a burden to be in the future and adding mm-hmm. a lot of dramatics to it. But the script is a sci-fi comedy, you know, so you need to get the punchlines and the laugh. So it wasn't as much about like, hey, well, and, but the, I think the thing that we have to remember, too, is they wanted Michael J. Fox in the beginning, right. but he was under contract with Family Ties, so they couldn't get him. 
at least at the time they couldn't. So that's why they really went with plan B and plan B was Eric Stoltz. And so if you can get your first option back on the table and you feel like you have the talent and the resources to go back and reshoot, then yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I've, I like C said, Warner brothers has wasted so much money and talent and time just writing off movies. I would much rather have them spend a little bit of money and fix the problem and make a franchise. That's, you know, one of the most popular franchises ever than just make the movie go away. Right. Yeah, no, I agree. I think, I think a lot of that was scheduling initially, but I think a lot of the time it's like a vision that you have created a creative vision that you have, like, especially for something like this, that's beloved. Uh, I'm sure they, they, like Zemeckis and Spielberg knew ahead of time, like what they could create uh, with this and that they needed to have, I think they had everything right except for that. And it, and yeah. they were probably seeing it like accumulate over weeks <laughs> after a couple more weeks. They're like, man, this isn't going to work unless we get the right guy. So I think unfortunately, and it's not a knock against Eric Stoltz. It's just some things fit better with other people. It's just how mm-hmm. it works. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, absolutely. And I guess the only thing you've got to to worry about is the the chemistry then on screen. So if an actor's been acting with someone for six weeks, but I, I think the rumors were also that he did rub people up the wrong way on set. Mm. You know, and I know Christopher Lloyd did have concerns, didn't he? Not again, not that he didn't like Michael J. Fox, but that he'd have to build that that kind of relationship up again. For me, one of the reasons why I love those films is the chemistry between them. And yeah, I mean it's it was a great decision. Now the thing about Back to the Future is it's kind of almost a two for one as well because you've got the, the fact that they also replaced Crispin Glover, didn't they, after the first one and all the trouble yeah, that brought. So, yeah, so kind of what's your view on that in terms of, yeah, sort of replacing the character? Because they tried to do something sneaky, right, didn't they? Or they tried to be clever about it, but subsequently then uh... introduced sort of rules and lawsuits and and kind of future legislation didn't it that that case a little bit that one's a little bit more challenging because there's two things involved on crispin glover's part one he's a psycho but he's brilliant (laughs) but like he was he's he's difficult to work with uh he's got a lot of weird traits and tendencies that make him who he is you know so i don't think that's the problem the problem was is that he didn't get compensated very well for the first one. And his role is such a big part of the movie that in the second one, there was a lot more for George McFly to do. So he thought he needed more money. He deserved more money. They didn't want to pay him that. So instead they just didn't rehire him and then recast his character and shot him from like back angles, side angles. And then when he's an old man, did him like that. Where they got in trouble was they made his likeness too much like him and the vocal performance was too much like it. So he was able to successfully sue the studio for likeness rights, like Steve was saying earlier, because it wasn't really the character. They were really making a caricature of him and that's how he was able to get that lawsuit uh, passed. Yeah, I feel like that that happens a lot. Um, Well, it's happened recently, right? Uh, with Marvel, I think they recast a couple people, and uh, DC's recasting all the people right now. <laughs> so yeah, but they work that stuff into contracts now, where they can't come yeah. back and do. It's like you know, you you can be replaced, you will be replaced. That was the problem: is that Crispin already had 
a first offer to return. And that's where things get in line. You know what? Uh, another famous thing like that too was Billy D. Williams. Billy D. Williams got paid out yeah. huge for uh, not being put as Two-Face in Batman Forever because in his contract, his character was promised to come back in a sequel and they they paid him out on that one. I do like it because I think both cases are, are really interesting in, in their own rights. In the end, I mean, at least the Michael J. Fox one did work for the film, so... There's a third part to that story that not a lot of people know about and that there's another famous recasting of that same movie because of the Eric Stoltz recasting. That's the fact that we've had three different Jennifers. Right, of course, yes, yes, yeah. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people don't know about the first one. So when Eric Stoltz was in that part, they actually had another actress named Melora Hardin. Most people would know her as Jan from the American office. She shot her entire role of Jennifer with Eric Stoltz. When they fired Stoltz and brought Michael J. Fox on, she's like five inches taller than Michael J. Fox, <laughs> which isn't hard, like the dude's 5'2 or something. So then they cast in Claudia Wells to play Jennifer, who's the yeah. Jennifer we see in the first one. And then they recast her with Elizabeth Shue in the second two movies. So yeah. technically we had three Jennifers in that movie as well. I completely forgot about that. Well, I cast the one that happened in the films as him messing around with the timeline. So I justify that. So that's there fine, you go. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it makes sense. Yeah, like I said, I know it's the obvious one, but it is a fun one. So C's over to you. Uh, all right. I'm going to go with the uh, Lenina Huxley in Demolition Man. Uh, yeah, so, good one. Yeah, Lori Petty originally was cast to play Lenina Huxley. And I think she only filmed for a couple of days uh, in that role uh, before Joel Silver decided to replace her. And then, uh, so I guess Petty and Silver, they, they, had, they couldn't see eye to eye uh, about the character. And, uh, you know, I guess they said creative differences, which is something you kind of hear uh, very much in the industry when something doesn't work out. And we, that's how we got Sandra Bullock in that role. And uh, it was one of her breakout roles. So we'll go with that one. So if you don't know who Lori Petty is, Dan, uh, she was most known back for being in Point Break with Keanu Reeves and then starring as Gina Davis's sister in A League of Their Own. But for me, she will always Tank be girl. Tank Girl. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I remember her. I, I'm not going to say I've, I've seen a lot of her stuff, but I definitely remembered her from back in the day, yeah. Well, and it's interesting, too, because I've known about this one for a long time, where you know, her whole persona is that she's kind of tough, and she's got like that New York accent. Uh, she's got a lot of like confidence and, and, and poise. And for the way Lena Huxley is written, she's supposed to mm -hmm. kind of be like an airhead, kind of like yes, ditzy. kind of a bobblehead, kind of ditzy. Yeah. And I can see how it'd be hard for Lori Petty to come off as that because she's so calculated in all of her other roles. Where Sandra Bullock, I'm like, oh, that's perfect. She plays that role to a T, in my opinion. So I would say I kind of agree with that one. Like, uh, I think it is a better movie. Yeah. Because of that true. casting change. Yeah, I agree too. I think. She is very tough. Like, I feel like Lori Petty can come off as tough. And also, like you mentioned, calculating. And that character, I feel like, needs to be a little bit naive. You know, they right. need to uh, not know some real things. And that's that I don't think that would have fit very well with Lori Petty. Great actress. But I, yeah, I don't think it was a good fit. Well, I just think about like the helmet sex scene 
where she has to be like, oh, 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 yeah. I'm like, no, that don't work for me. No, uh-uh. <laughs> Why'd you take your helmet off? Why'd you take it. your helmet off? <laughs> yeah. Oh, clipping that. I'm clipping that. Yeah. I mean, that's a film I haven't seen for a long time. But yeah, and like you said, you know, what what a role then for Sandra. Yeah, yeah, because off of that she gets up. speed, and from there it's just you know uh, all in yeah. uphill. Yeah, yeah. No, again, not one. You see, this is why I, I knew having you two on for this would be good because I'm 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 learning so much here, <laughs> Antonio. Okay, so this is an interesting one. This one goes back to like the ninety-eight to two thousand years, and that was Mary Heron's film American Psycho. Essentially, the movie that people started taking Christian Bale seriously as a dramatic actor and not like a Disney actor or a child actor. He he brings charm and, and menace, and it's to this day probably one of his most memorable roles. This one's an interesting change because Christian Bale actually got cast twice in this movie. So, you know, Mary Heron was an indie film actor, or sorry, Mary, uh, independent film director. She had just made a movie that two years earlier called I Shot Andy Warhol, which was getting a lot of attention at Sundance. And she wanted to do American Psycho, which is fascinating because that's a very male-driven story from a very male-driven writer. And here we have Mary Heron, a female director, and uh, her, her writing partner wrote a film called Go Fish, which was a lesbian drama in the 90s. So you have a lesbian woman writing a, a a male kind of sick fantasy movie. And I think that's one of the reasons mm. why that movie works so well. Their first choice, their first casting decision with Lionsgate was Christian Bale. So Christian Bale's like, sweet, I got the part. I'm going to go start working out and be buff Christian Bale for this movie. However, Lionsgate also did a movie a few years earlier with Leonardo DiCaprio called Basketball Diaries. And now that he's a big star, he had just done Titanic and Romeo and Juliet. He was like, well, now I kind of want to go back to my indie roots. And he saw that the script was out there. So he put his name in a hat and essentially they're like, okay, well pay out Christian Bale. We're firing him. We're going to put Leo in this movie. So for like a, yeah. So (laughs) solid several months, they had Leo in this role cast. And then they're like, well, Leo doesn't want to do it now because the script kind of like taints this image that they've built with him, but they offered him $20 million. And the thing that pissed Mary Heron off about this is that they didn't tell her, they just made the decision to do it. So she's like, well, then I'm not going to do this movie. You're going to have to like replace me, replace the script. And pretty much what happened with this is that it fell into development hell. No one could make an agreement. And Leo's like, well, I've got, the beach coming up with Danny Boyle. So if you guys don't make this decision right now, I'm leaving. And so he left. And then they begged Christian Bale to come back. And he's like, I'm only coming back if Mary Heron's coming back. And they did. Everyone shook hands and played nice and gave us American Psycho, which to me is still one of the most talked about and most controversial movies ever made. And uh, it's just fantastic. And I I can't see anyone but uh, Christian Bale playing yeah. that role of Patrick Bateman. So to say you don't get Batman without Bateman. That's that's the saying, man, out in the streets. Again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. 
you know uh i agree that's that's uh that's a big one man i I remember when i first heard about that i was like ah you know 20 mil and then also leo to play that role i just uh uh, maybe maybe leo from when he was already a little more seasoned might have worked but i don't know i don't know at that time I mean, think about it, too, because, like, Leo has never been known for his physical prowess, right? He's always yeah. had, like, that kind of pretty boy charm, yeah. uh, a little effeminate. I don't think I've ever seen, like, a, a six-pack on him ever. <laughs> but then Christian Bale in that movie is, like, just a horse. Like, he is just <laughs> built. Yes. He is ripped. <laughs> you know, he's got to be naked in the sauna. He's got to be naked in the sunbed. I, I don't think... I don't think that Leo would have had that kind of uh, machismo that was convincing women to go to his apartment. He's more about the charm and the good looks and like that, you know, kind of pretty boy style where Bateman needs to be aggressive. And that's how he can be dominant over these women who seem to be like very powerful and independent women. And then he just flips the switch and he's, you know, a psycho. Yeah, definitely. I just feel Bale can be terrifying at any point in any time. Yeah, that was actually one of my examples. So um, that's why I, I knew I'd heard that one um, because now I've now just had to delete it off my notes. <laughs> no, but it is a fascinating one, isn't it? In the sense of yeah, first choice isn't there. Grab someone, first choice becomes available. Get him, and th- and then you go back to the the original. I mean, it was lucky that Bale was keeping himself in shape, really, wasn't he? Indeed, yeah, for sure. I guess that yeah, I think he literally would do everything that his character does in that movie. Like even when they weren't filming to kind of stay in character. Okay, excellent. So what I'm going to do actually, see, is I'm going to go back over to you now while I quickly go through my other examples and, and get one. All right, I'm going to go uh, animated with this one. I don't know if Antonio's heard of the uh, Shrek recasting. Mm-hmm. The the Green Ogre Shrek, uh, one of Mike Myers' most recognizable movie roles. I think most people know him uh, playing that role of Shrek. Uh, originally, uh, Chris Farley was cast to do the voice. Of really. Shrek. so uh it was going to be a vehicle for him and he actually recorded almost all of the dialogue i think oh well i think 80 to 90 percent of it and then he died so uh unfortunately i don't know if we we, would you guys want to hear or see a movie with farley playing shrek like that's i've i've seen the animatics of it like i've heard the voice and i've seen the animatics of it with him and eddie murphy and it's really, really different. It's really <laughs> different. He's literally just speaking like himself. He doesn't use the Scottish brogue. In fact, they didn't want Myers to use the Scottish accent. Right. He just kept on doing it. It wouldn't stop. So eventually they're like, okay, well, I guess this is just Shrek now. Because, yeah, the original example of, of Chris Farley, and even the, the ogre itself looked more like Chris Farley yep. in the original animation of it. That one is interesting to me because it's kind of like a... I don't know. We we there is franchises, I guess. A lot of these involved, um, but I don't I don't know if there would be a franchise of Shrek without Mike Myers doing that role. Yeah, and you say it was about ninety percent complete. Did you? Yeah, and he passed away like in late ninety seven or early ninety eight, and we didn't get Shrek until two thousand one, I think. So right. there was still another three or four years of development and animation. And by the time that rolls around, things like the Matrix happened and other things happened so they could put more culturally relevant material into Shrek. But yeah, that project was dormant for a while until they finally got everything put together. So that that could have been a movie that just would have disappeared. Yeah, definitely. 
And it's funny because when you first said that, it's about animated. I thought, oh, that sounds about funny. How do you write? But then, yeah, you get about the voice, voice characters, and and they are the voice acting is absolutely a proper characterization, personalization. So yeah, I, I guess do wonder in the voiceover world if it's probably more prevalent than we think as well, where it just doesn't work with maybe someone's take on on a character, like you said, you know. Mike Myers initially was playing it Scottish. Could they have got so annoyed that they say, all right, that's how you're going to play it. We'll get someone else in. Yeah, <laughs> it could have definitely right. been, yeah, for sure. Antonio, have you got any others? Yeah, I'll do one last one uh, to kind of just round things out since we've kind of been in combat book land. I had a bunch on my list, but I'm going to go with the ones that made huge, significant changes to the franchise, not just like, oh, they just switched a character or switched an actor. I'm I'm assuming C's knows all about this, but uh, the Wolverine debacle oh yes <laughs> so th- uh. there is so much legend and lore behind the casting process of wolverine so when uh i believe it was canon films they had marvel rights in the 80s and early 90s and they were thinking about making an x-men movie and they wanted mel gibson for wolverine that never came together as it started showing more promise into the late 90s Brian Singer getting a hold of of the rights to direct it. His first pick was Russell Crowe. And Russell Crowe was doing Gladiator at the time. Like he was training for it. He's like, no, this is this is my thing. He had just gained so much weight for the insider. Now how to lose it all and get muscular for for Gladiator. He said, no, but how about my Australian buddy who's, you know, a, a song and dance man, but he's in shape. He looks good. His name's Hugh Jackman. And Singer wasn't really sold on it. He's like, eh, I kind of want someone who's already got a name and a face in the industry. Hugh Jackman's a theater guy. We're, we're not going to go with him. Instead, they went with a Scottish actor named Dougray Scott. <laughs> now, I like this guy. I've always liked him. Uh, most people would have known him from uh, being like the Prince Charming character in uh, Ever After, the Drew Barrymore Cinderella oh, movie. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Mission Impossible is why he's not Wolverine. <laughs> So the problem with Mission Impossible 2 is this is when Tom Cruise is like probably at his most crazy at the time where he's doing all his own stunts for the first time. He's getting like this really crazy ego. He's huge in Scientology before he is what he is now. Like he's getting a lot of people essentially blowing smoke up his ass. He's got John Woo, who's already a perfectionist, directing Mission Impossible 2. And they've got Doug Ray Scott as the bad guy. So Doug Ray Scott's supposed to go right from Mission Impossible 2 directly into filming X-Men as Wolverine. He's cast, he's paid, he's ready to go. Mission Impossible 2 goes six months over schedule. And because of his contract and reshoots, they won't let him go. And so Fox Studio won't wait for Doug Ray Scott to come back as Wolverine. So they go back with their plan B, which was Hugh Jackman, who nobody knows. No one knows who Hugh Jackman is. And Dugray Scott's like, someone fire me off of Mission Impossible 2. I need to be Wolverine. Wolverine is the role. Like, I'm the bad guy in this movie, but Wolverine is, like, the best character to play. And they didn't do it. They went with Hugh Jackman, and the rest is history. Like, Hugh Jackman will forever be Wolverine. Like, there's there's huge doubt that they will ever recast Wolverine as anyone but Hugh Jackman. Like, the dude's almost 16. He's playing Wolverine again in Deadpool 3. Like... Talk about uh, missing out on probably one of the biggest opportunities in cinema history. I'm dying over here the whole time because I'm just like, 
You know he's blaming the doves for that one, right? Like I was gonna say this. they didn't get the doves to fly on cue. <laughs> That's why it went six months over schedule. <laughs> oh man. Gotta love John Woo, man. No, that that one is definitely <laughs> that one is definitely a famous one, uh Degree Scott, like to play Wolverine. Um, and just a franchise changer, man. Like one of the biggest yeah. franchises in the world. Yeah. I mean, he's about to play him again. It's, it's, it's crazy. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, that, and also that was my last main one that I had as well. So it feels like we were on sync here. I did have one more though, a, a brief one. I did have that Dennis Hopper was due to play the role that Ed Harris, or I think he did actually start playing the role that Ed Harris played in the Truman Show. Uh, Show, yeah, Kristoff. Yeah. yeah, they they shot yeah. with him. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it was only a matter of a few days they really didn't like him, I think. And so yeah, Ed Harris got the role. That's a decent film. And yeah, well, I haven't seen it again for years, but it felt like he was he was made for that role. So yeah, Dennis Hopper. I guess again, similar, maybe look back in the day. Yeah, that's that's one I known about that one as well, but I think that's one like I don't there's almost like this a, a level of sympathy that that character needs to have or, mm-hmm. or try to uh, empathy that they need to kind of com- convey across. And I think uh, Ed Harris does that very well in yeah. that film. I don't know if Dennis yeah. Hopper could do that. Dennis Hopper is a performer who, I mean, I mad respect for Dennis Hopper, but yeah. Dennis Hopper plays best when he's chewing the scenery. Yeah. And Kristoff has to be like more uh, intelligent and intuitive and empathetic and sympathetic but also kind of controlling. Like he is the mastermind behind all this. And so I could probably see if they were trying to put Dennis Hopper in the little beret with maybe like an art scene goatee and trying to make him look more Mm. intellectual. I I sure it looks great on paper, but I, I'm not convinced that he could play the undertoned uh, dramatics that Ed Harris brings across because even though Ed Harris is, in a sense, he's like playing God, right? Like he's yep. controlling this man's universe. It's not with a lack of of compassion and empathy and sympathy towards Truman. And that's what does make that that relationship work. The fact that these two characters never even meet each other or see each other throughout the whole film, there is like a relationship between them that is is palpable. You can feel it, you know? Right. And I'm not sure you could get away with that with, with Dennis Hopper. Yeah, picture Dennis Hopper uh, from Land of the Blue Dead. Blue Velvet? <laughs> Land of the Dead. <laughs> oh, I was going to be like... <laughs> like with a walkie-talkie in his hand and uh, at, at the top of Fiddler's Green uh, telling <laughs> <laughs> telling Jim Carrey what to do. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it would have worked. I want to mention one hypothetical, and I know we're not talking about those, but I'm curious to see what Antonio thinks and what you might think, uh, Dan, about the offer for you know peter cushing or christopher lee to play dr loomis what do you guys think about that it works it works for me i would have said i would have much rather seen uh peter cushing than christopher lee loomis can't be too menacing and that's why i think donald pleasance works so great and it is because like yeah he's definitely off kilter but he's not menacing Peter Cushing can play less menacing, but mm. I don't think Christopher Lee can play <laughs> anything but menacing. So, yeah, interesting, but I think they did right with how they did did it. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> That's the only one I feel like sometimes that'll give me pause when I think about it. Uh, like the what if? Yeah, the what if. 
Dan, do you have any more? Because we can finish with what I think might be the most famous one. I've got, I had one what if, but have you actually got a replacement? Sorry. You skipped one, so you should do it. And I'll yeah, just do mine as the no, honorable no, no, mention. No, 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 it's end. always a guess. So you go first. Well, I think the most famous one, in my opinion, is the uh, Tom Selleck could have been Indiana Jones mm, rather than Harrison yes. Ford. Yes. <laughs> and very much, very much like uh, Michael J. Fox, it was all about TV contracts. Yeah. It was Tom Selleck's role. It was his role. He yep. did all the screen testing with the actresses. He would have kept the mustache. And Harrison Ford literally was like a last minute replacement when he could not get out of his Magnum PI TV contract. So there is a world out there where, where Magnum PI would have been Indiana Jones. And I got to tell you, I, I don't hate it at all, but it's really hard when you have an iconic character like Indiana Jones. And the reason why he's so iconic is because Harrison Ford played him the way he did. That's a tough one. Yeah. Oh man. That one, that one is hard. Cause I like Tom Selleck, but like, yeah, it's so iconic. Those are one of those. Uh, and it depends what your flavor is. Like, what, what do you, what do you like? Right. Like you like the uh, ground beef coming out the chest uh, or, <laughs> you know, the mustache or, yeah. you know, <laughs> The suave yeah. guy with the whip. I think what you said, Antonio, is right. Harrison Ford had the traits that made the Indiana Jones character so watchable and so likable. But also at the time, you know, Selleck was doing a great role as, as Magnum as well. You know, it's not like he he wasn't portraying a good character in his own right anyway. So I think it kind of worked out for both of them in the end. Yeah, I, w I would agree. It's just a very interesting, like, what if, like Caesar was saying. Yeah. I just had one what if, or I think he, they wanted him in the role, but he just couldn't at the time. But it was uh, Michael Madsen was the first choice for the role of Vincent Vega before John Travolta got it. So I'm thinking, how, how would you see that? You know, you look at that and Travolta just played, you know, that's an iconic role he had in performance. So what would you see about that? You're going down a rabbit hole yeah. on that one, because <laughs> They're cousins. No, I'm just kidding. That's the thing is like the original idea is that Michael Madsen would have played Vincent Vega as a twin of Vic Vega yeah. from Reservoir Dogs. So Tarantino had this trilogy planned where Reservoir Dogs is an introduction, introduction to Mr. Blonde, AKA Vic Vega. Then he would have played his twin brother, Vincent in Pulp Fiction. And then afterwards there would have been a movie where they played the twins together and that movie was called the vega brothers there was a script it's something that quentin really wanted to do but pulp fiction became so huge that it overshadowed yeah. what it would have been and so that's where it does kind of get a little squishy is that the whole reason why madsen didn't do pulp fiction is because he got offered a lot more money to do wyatt earp to play Kevin Costner's brother. So he went with the money and then that movie ended up being dog shit. And he's like, ah, I should have, <laughs> I should have stuck to playing that character. Cause Quentin wrote it for him. Quentin yeah, wrote yeah. him as a twin. So again, that's the rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah. Fascinating. Fascinating. See your view on that. I agree. That's like when, when Antonio said a rabbit hole, that's exactly what it is. <laughs> yeah. I saw your face. Yeah. You like, even like, let's say you're not as, much a fan of film or cinema or quentin tarantino or his movies 
but you've seen a few of them, you would notice that some of those character names are similar. So you would mm-hmm. notice that there's some connecting tissue here. There's a larger idea of a universe possibly being built off of, you know, those characters. So I think that is something that most people that are fans, super fans, especially of his stuff, they would know. But you're like your layman person might not pay as much attention to it. But I think that's definitely would be something cool uh, if that would have went through. But again, I mean, I kind of like Travolta as, you know, Vincent. Yeah. Bain, so. th- I doubt Madsen can dance as well as Travolta, <laughs> yeah. especially when you go back to the um, stuck in the middle with you, cutting off the ear scene, the little dance he does. <laughs> he slices the cop's ear off. If that's what we were going to get in the uh, Jackrabbit Slim scene, then no, I think Travolta was the right choice. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Um, were there any other shout outs from either of you before we wrap up? There's plenty, but we might even do like a follow-up episode. Maybe, to this maybe we, the, we could do there, that. There's a lot. Yeah, I agree. Definitely. Okay. As we were doing this episode, I had a thought that I'm kicking myself. I didn't do it beforehand, but what I should have got is somebody else, another podcaster to record a segment of me asking you questions. So I could have changed the casting of me halfway through this episode. I think that would have <laughs> worked well. And I'm kicking myself. So I absolutely want to do a second episode and, we, and we'll do that. I'm going to recast with the... Uh... Justin. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right. Right. He's just taking over all the pods. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Look, thank you both for giving me an hour of your time tonight to do this. Um, it's been brilliant talking to you. Uh, Cease, do you just want to shout out your pod and, and the socials again before we go? Sure. So you can listen to uh, my podcast, the No On 15 Allcast, wherever you listen to your podcast. You can find us on all social media, TikTok, Twitter, uh, X, sorry, and uh, <laughs> Instagram, all that good stuff. And yeah, we're we're wrapping up the season. We got uh probably another six or seven episodes to go. And then yeah, that'll be it for season four. And Antonio. Oh, you know me. You can find all my stuff on the cultworthy.com, all my shows. That would be the Cultworthy Cinema Podcast, the Cultworthy Classic, the Milf and Me, and the soon to be fourth podcast with my co-host Justin Henson. And I'm on all the socials too. DM me on Instagram and, and Twitter is where I'm the most uh active. But yeah, man, it's always a pleasure to be on your show and and have you on mine. And yeah, we owe each other another uh, Brit Grit crime episode yep. on my show. So let's start talking about that soon. Yeah, I've, I've been looking forward to doing that. Yeah, absolutely. So please do, if you're not subscribed to the shows there that I mentioned, like as I've said before, they are, not only are they great shows, but these two people are just fantastic people. So yeah, you, you're doing a wonderful thing just by following them for that. So for me, you're listening to this so hopefully you should know where to find me but in terms of socials just look for casting views across all of them and yeah if you want to be on the show suggest an idea or just say hi yeah drop me a note anywhere you find me there so i will see you next week if i want your opinion i will give it to Come on, take what we've got, cause you need it, don't make us get